you know, as she's finishing that song up, I don't remember exactly all the words to the to that chorus, but something about my soul is at rest. Life, yeah, life now is sweet. My my soul is complete. The, for I'm saved. You know, if you got up this morning and you couldn't be think of couldn't think of anything else to be thankful for, I'm saved. That blood, just one drop of blood was enough to cover my sins if I would ask for forgiveness. Stand with me as we sing this morning. We've heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. He still saves.
for being here on this wonderful July morning, the last Sunday of July. Can you believe it? It seems like just flown by. Thank you for being here today. And those who are watching online, I don't know how many that would be, we're grateful that you could do that. And thank you for being here present in the building today. If you're a visitor today, you're a guest, we're thankful that you're here. In your bulletin, I hope you picked one up as you came in, there's a little tab that will pull away. Please tear that off and fill it out and then drop it in the offering plate as they're passed in just a little while. And that will give us an indication of how we can minister to you in the days to come. If you're not a guest and you're a home folk, we're just glad that you're here. If you picked up a bulletin, you will see a couple of things listed for you there. Um, continue to pray for the deacons and the deacon body. Also, the Christmas tree. Uh, you'll see that there, Operation Christmas Child. 
the WMU will meet August the 9th. But look at that other announcement. The LB, uh, LFBC preschool begins on Monday, August the 8th. And there are some items are in short supply, and you'll see those listed for you. If you could donate there, those things would certainly be appreciated. In the days to come, the weeks to come, you'll be getting an interim, and then you'll be choosing a search committee. So there are certainly a lot of things about which we should pray. And as we pray this morning, we want to pray for those who could not uh, be in the service. We want to pray for Bob Collins, who had some episode last night where in assisted living, and I believe he was taken to the hospital, maybe he's still in the hospital. So pray for Bob Collins and others that need our prayer. I wonder, would you pray with me specifically for the sick folk and then for this service this morning? Would you pray with me? Father, we do praise you and thank you for your grace, your power, your glory. Thank you, Lord, that you love us and allow us to come into your presence. Thank you for the promise, Lord, where you said that if two or more are gathered in my name, there will I be in their midst. Lord, I pray today that you'd make us so keenly aware of your presence. Speak to each heart, to every life. Lord, do a great work in our midst, in my own heart, in the lives of those that are here. Do a great work, I pray. Lord, I pray that you're blessing the music and the ones who plays. Bless those who receive the offering. And Lord, I pray particularly for Bob Collins and his family, others that are sick hurting and in need. We lift them all before you today and pray that you give healing and grace and strength. In Jesus' name and for his sake I pray. Amen. I'll ask you to stand once again for our offertory. Lord, here am I. Oh, 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 
rescue be with those your sweethearts continue to travel and come back to their vacation for the summer good Lord we ask you to bless the tithes and offerings for that to see and glorify your kingdom in the name we pray amen Bible and turn to the book of Psalms. I've been praying about this for a while and uh, I want to just talk to you this morning from the 23rd Psalm. So find Psalms 23. If I were to ask for a show of hands, which I'm not doing, but if I were to ask, I suspect that a great many of you here would say that you have memorized some or all of the 23rd Psalm. Maybe some of the very first Bible verses you've committed to memory. You've read the 23rd Psalm, you've heard it read, you've studied it, you've looked at it, but I just feel impressed. Lord, I want to go there again this morning in Psalms 23. So I'm going to read it, and you just imagine that you're reading this or hearing this for the very first time. And would you do this, would you say, Lord, just speak to my heart afresh and anew and help me to see the truths of your word in a powerful way. So let's read. I'll read aloud. You follow with me. David begins by saying, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Let me pause right there for a moment. The word restore is a very interesting, it's a medical term actually. It means to put back or mend something that's broken. If you broke a bone in your arm, it would be said and mended. That's the word restore. But in this context, he's not talking about a broken bone. He's talking about a broken soul, a broken spirit. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, or yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The 23rd Psalm is part of a trilogy. There are three Psalms that work together and fit together to tell us the old, old story of Jesus before Jesus came to Bethlehem. In Psalm 22, is the psalm of the cross, 
If you read Psalm 22, it is really a preview of the crucifixion of our Lord. In fact, some of the things that Jesus spoke from the cross were recorded in Psalms 22 hundreds and hundreds of years before the cross actually occurred. When Jesus cried out from the cross and he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You'll find those words in the 23rd Psalm. It's a Psalm of the cross. I've never really known how to read that verse, to be honest with you. If you accent and emphasize a different word in that statement, in that question, it gives a different hue, a different coloring to the meaning. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or could it be read this way? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You might read it this way. Why have you forsaken me? The different context, the different emphasis gives a different hue. Psalms 22 is the psalm of the cross. Psalms 24, however, is the psalm of the crown. The victory crown, the glory crown. Have you ever wondered what happened after the resurrection, after the ascension? You know, they're looking, they're standing there, and they're watching Jesus ascend back into heaven, and they're watching their eyes out. They're watching until he's out of sight. Have you ever wondered what happened on the other side when Jesus got back to heaven? He left heaven's glory to come to earth to be our Savior, to die on the cross. But what happened in heaven when Jesus went back to glory? Read Psalm 24. It gives a little indication of what that was like. Can you imagine the celebration when Jesus, the Son of God, victorious on the cross, accomplishing the will of God, went back to heaven in victory and in glory? I'm sure they had a hallelujah party. Read Psalm 24. It is a psalm of the crown. Psalm 23 is the psalm of the crook, the shepherd's crook. Between the cross and the crown is our Lord walking with us day by day as a shepherd guiding his sheep, directing, providing his sheep. It's the psalm of the crook. In the 23rd Psalm, there, there's so much there. I, I wish I had time with you just go verse by verse through the 23rd Psalm. Every verse is filled with wonder and glory and splendor. There are six compound names for God in the Old Testament, and each of those compound names is expressed in these six verses. One compound name expressed and explained in each of the verses. We don't have that much time. I'll be with, by the way, this is my last Sunday with you, Lord willing. I'll be here a couple more Wednesdays, but my last Sunday morning and Sunday night with you. So we can't go verse by verse. So I've got to pick and choose. We could spend our time in each one of these and I believe be blessed. But I want to look this morning in verse 5 and then, Lord willing, I'll Look at verse 6 tonight. So let's spend some time just picking apart, looking at, feasting on what the Word of God would teach us from Psalms 23, verse 5. Let's read it again. 
Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. I love the great hymns of the faith. I grew up singing those old hymns, as most of you, those old hymns, great hymns that say so much and teach us so much. I'm thinking of that old song, Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land. That kind of is what the psalmist is saying in verse 5. In fact, that's the title of my message today is heaven's table land. The heaven's table land is a path to a place where you and I can go and be comforted and blessed and encouraged in the midst of our current life, in the midst of living life, in the midst of all the pressure and the trial and the struggle and satanic attack. In the midst of all that, I'm glad there's a place where we can go and be blessed and be fed and be encouraged in heaven's table land. I believe God's people need to be encouraged. I believe that we need to be pointed to the cross and, and just rejoice in what God did for us through Christ on the cross. And because of that, we're invited to come and sit and feast and dine around his table. So there are a few things I'd like you just kind of look at with me today. <clears throat> look at that first part of verse 5. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. So I see there the shepherd preparing a table. So he says, Thou are you, Lord, are preparing a table. Now in the days of King David, when he was a shepherd boy, what the shepherd would do is every year or every spring or sometime, they would go and search out a place where as a shepherd he could bring the sheep to graze and to be watered and fed, a place where the enemy could not attack, where there would not be wolves and all the things. And so the shepherd would look and search, and he would look, he would find a place maybe on a mesa, a plateau, high above everything else it was hard to find it was out of the way and it was there that he would find that place and once he located such a grazing plateau he would then bring his sheep because he knew that there was safety there but notice what he says Lord do you prepare this table in the presence of mine enemies so we all have enemies did you know that Satan is your enemy he wants to destroy you and your family. He wants to steal your children. He wants to steal the hearts of your grandchildren. You have an enemy. The Bible says our enemy is not flesh and blood, but against wickedness and spiritual high places. And so you have an enemy. This church has an enemy. The people of God have an enemy. But in the midst of all of that, David says we can sit down at the Lord's table. So when that shepherd would Go find that mesa, that plateau, that high place. One of the first things he would do, he would walk over that ground inch by inch and foot by foot, looking for vipers. He would be looking. Recently at the Piedmont Baptist Association, we had to have our, our building re-roofed, and they spent some time doing all that, and ever since then, it's been three or four weeks, 
Every time I go into the parking lot, I'm looking down. I'm looking for nails. I want to find it before my tires do. And I found a dozen or 15 nails lying there, and they've washed off the roof, and I'm looking for that enemy of my tire. David was looking for an enemy. The shepherds were looking for an enemy. And the shepherd he, and, the, and the enemy he most often looked for was something that was called a, a viper. It was about eight inches long or maybe as much as 12 inches long. And that snake, that viper would bury itself in the ground. And when anybody came by, it would come out. It was deadly. It was a poisonous thing. And it would bite. And it was almost within an hour or so, whatever it bit, man or beast, would be dead. I hate snakes. I don't like them. Big ones, little ones, dead ones, it doesn't matter. I hate, and, and that was reinforced in my mind by my brothers. Now, I'm the seventh out of eight children. And my older brothers were terrorists before the word was ever invented, I think. And they terrorized me about snakes. They used to tell me, growing up on the farm, there was a snake called a black racer. You ever heard of that snake? It was a black snake. It would coil up, and they would tell me, because in my mind, it would get its tail and roll like a wheel. Now, I don't think that was true, but they would terrorize me. That snake will get after you, and you can't outrun it. It'll get you no matter what. I was afraid of snakes. There came a day when my mother said, I want you to go over to your grandfather's house and get the iron. Apparently he had borrowed her iron. And Grandpa lived across the fence and through the woods and over there. And I had to go get that iron. And my brother said, yeah, that, snake, that black racer is going to get after you. I wasn't worried about the bull in the pasture. I was worried about that snake. And I was walking. I mean, I could just imagine that thing getting after me. And I went over to Grandpa's and got the iron and started back, went through the woods there, and I was looking through that little and suddenly I saw the weeds move. And I looked down, I saw that thing right at my heels. It was long and black, and I started running. I was six years old or so, and I was running as fast as six-year-old legs would take me. I ran through the woods, and I ran through the pasture. I jumped the fence, went in the back door of the house, and slammed the door, and then I realized it was a core from the iron I was running from. <laughs> I hate snakes. <laughs> David said, Lord, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. So when he found that hole where the snake was living down in the grain, you know what would David would do? He would take oil and he would fill that hole with oil and it did two things. It would, it would neutralize the snake and that snake couldn't get out of the hole when he brought his sheep or when he walked by there, they would be safe. Even though there was an enemy in the ground, he was protected from the enemy. There are several tables that are mentioned in the scripture. David said, Lord, you prepared a table before me. In the press, enemies all around, snakes in the ground or snakes walking down the street, we have a lot of enemies. But there are several tables the Lord has prepared. Let me mention just a few of those. One is a table of remembrance. The communion table. It says, this do in remembrance of me. And so we come together from time to time. Now the Bible doesn't say how often we should do that, but whenever we do, we're to remember Jesus' death 
his crucifixion, what he did on the cross for you and for me. So in the presence of mine enemies, when Satan accuses and Satan lies about me to you and about you to me, when Satan tries to make me doubt my salvation, I can say, Satan, look, Jesus died on the cross and the blood still saved. I'm secure and I'm safe because of what Jesus did on the cross. The Bible says the blood of God's Son cleanses from all unrighteousness. And the word cleanse is a type of verb participle that is continuous action. The blood of Jesus cleanses and keeps on cleaning and keeps on cleaning. That's why I know that I can't lose my salvation. The blood of Christ continuously cleanses me from sin. Table of remembrance. So when you come to the Lord's table... It's a time to remember and to give thanks for salvation that comes through Christ. There's another table in the Scripture, and that's a table of restoration. Restoration. Do you remember that night in the garden when Jesus was arrested? He had been praying. He left the disciples and found them asleep, came back, found them asleep. Three times they had fallen asleep, and finally they looked, and there they came with, Torches and with spears and swords. In the eyes of man, a fearful thing, but in the eyes of God, what a pitiful thing. There come mortal men to arrest God. Simon Peter had made his boast. Lord, others may forsake you, but I won't. I'll never forsake you. And Simon Peter is so full of it. He's just full of self false self-confidence. Lord, I don't know what they'll do, but I'll never let you down. I'll never do anything to disappoint you. Jesus said, remember what he said? Simon, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. They came and arrested Jesus, took him away. Simon Peter followed afar off. And they took Jesus in there, and, and that night Jesus was tried three times by the Romans illegal by Roman standards. He was tried three times by the Sanhedrin, illegal by the Sanhedrin stand. Six trials, mock trials he went through that night. They beat him and they scourged him and they pulled a beard from his face. They slapped him, they spat on him. And they were taking him from Herod's place over to Caiaphas' place. Well, Simon Peter's out there warming. Somebody said, Aren't you one of his followers? Simon Peter said, no, I'm not. Somebody else came by. He's still there at the coals. It's late spring, maybe cool night. He's warm by the coals of fire. Aren't you a follower of Christ? No, I don't. I'm not. And then finally a little girl said to him, you are one of his followers. I sing you with him. You are a follower of Christ. And Peter just began to swear. He just began to use profanity and said, I'm not a follower of Christ. I don't even know this man. And just as he said those profane words, they are bringing Jesus by. Jesus stopped and looked at Simon Peter. They made eye contact. Profanity still hanging in the air. Simon Peter looked up and Jesus is looking him eye to eye. What do you think Simon Peter felt that day? What did he experience when air still filled with those profane words?
turns and Jesus is looking at him. Jesus said nothing, but the rooster started to crow. They dragged Jesus on to continue his interrogation. Simon Peter began to weep. I don't know exactly how Simon Peter felt, but I imagine he felt like a whole lot like I do sometimes when I disappoint the Lord. Maybe the same way you feel when you do things and hindsight, you say, oh, did I do? I shouldn't have done. I regret that I did that. I regret that I acted that way. You realize we've disappointed the Lord. We've let him down. Oh, Simon Peter thought, man, I've blown it. I can't be his disciple anymore. I can't be his apostle. I've wasted, I, I've denied the Lord and I've let him down. I, I've, I've blown it. Simon Peter went back to his old profession because the other disciples had ostracized Peter. They'd have nothing to do with him. But they weren't any better. They'd run away. At least Simon Peter was standing outside. There's, the others had all run away. Well, Simon Peter went back fishing. The only thing he knew in life, fished all night, hadn't caught anything. He came to shore one morning after having fished all night. And he saw somebody in the murky, dusty, foggy dawn, somebody calling, have you any meat? Have you caught anything? Now, don't you hate to hear that question when you haven't caught anything? Have you caught anything? Oh, he said, cast your net on the other side. And they did. Caught a boatload of fish. Here's the, here's the thing. Listen, when they got to the shore, they discovered it was Jesus. And Jesus had some coals and some fish already cooking, and he had breakfast already prepared. You know what Jesus said to him? He said, Simon, come and dine. Come and eat at my table. And through that conversation, Simon Peter came to understand that God had forgiven him. He had been restored to fellowship. He had been restored in favor with God. And there was a great time of restoration. Folks, if you forget everything else I say, don't remember this. Don't forget this. There is a place at God's table for you. He says, come and dine. Come and feast. And whatever you've done, whatever mistakes you've made, there is a place for you at the table of God, a table of restoration. One other table I don't have time just to mention. That's a table of rejoicing. Revelation 19 talks about the table of rejoicing at the marriage supper of the Lamb. When, when we get to heaven and the marriage celebration between the bride of Christ, which is the church, and Christ himself, what a celebration time that'll be. Well, let's hurry. You have been so patient. My time's already just about gone. We talked about the shepherd preparing the table. Look at that middle line. He's anointing with oil. Shepherd is anointing with oil. Thou anointest my head with oil. The word anoint, the Hebrew word here literally means to smear, just to rub all of, just smear it all over. The anointing of the oil. The oil in the Bible is a type, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So when he says, you anoint my head with oil, it's a type or a symbol of you and me being just filled, anointed with the Spirit of God. Now you need to be anointed afresh and anew with the Spirit of God every day. Now you got saved one time. God forgave you your sin he came into your life to live. That was an 
action way back then or whenever that was. Could have been a recent action. But every day we come to him in repentance and he infuses us with strength, a fresh anointing every day. And you need it and so do I. We need the anointing of God's all God's spirit for several. One, we need it because of life's distractions. Little things that come into your life and my life that'll get us, get us distracted and take our focus away from God. You know where my biggest distraction comes is sometimes when I'm driving. And some guy that cuts me off in traffic. Or you know the old thing, you're going down the road, somebody pulls out in front of you, goes 10 yards and turns off. I mean, you know all that. I was waiting to move, turn into a parking place, have my blinker on, and, and some guy, a little, and my, my pickup truck, it's hard to turn sometimes, doesn't have a great turning radius, and I was sitting there, and I, while I was waiting, this little guy in a little sport car, I could have put that thing in the back of my truck, probably zipped in there and smiled at me and walked on. Life's distractions. They come all the time, things that come into your life, and if you're not anointed with the Spirit of God, that can take away your joy. It can take away your peace. It'll get you in the wrong mood, the wrong stance. And we need that in our life. So what the shepherd would do when the sheep got like that, it was, I mean, distractions come. There was a summertime was fly time. And the flies would buzz around those sheep and the, that larva, that fly would get in the nose of that sheep. I don't want to be too gross here, but put the larva in the egg, uh, in the nose of that sheep and it would just drive that sheep crazy. They would sling their head, they would bounce around. Sheep had been known to kill themselves, banging their head on a rock trying to get that out of their nose. And what the shepherd would do, he would anoint, smear their head with oil. They'd put some tar, maybe a sulfur in there. And when he did that, there was an immediate change of behavior in the sheep because it killed the larva and there was rest and peace with the sheep. We need that in our life day by day. But we need the anointing of God's Spirit because of life's disturbances. Disturbances come. It happens in church, it happens in homes, it happens at work, it happens in schools. Disturbances, levels of things that happen. And so we get bothered and things happen that we can't control. Summertime not only was fly time, summertime was mating season. And that little old lamb grew up and that ram said, I want you, babe. And now she has a, she's standing there and the other boyfriend walks up. And those two boyfriends look at each other and they both want that sheep and they began to sleep, uh, scrape in the dust and throw rock everywhere and they back up and they charge one another and if and they're not careful, sheep have been known to break their necks and kill each other, charging, ramming one another, fighting over that little sheep. So the shepherd would take those sheep and that ram and just smear that slick oil all over the head and they would still rub, bump heads sometimes, but what happened, they would glance off. Instead of a hard blow, they would sort of glance off and it would kind of save their life a lot of times. Listen, disturbances come. Personality conflicts in church. Personality conflicts in youth group and in choir. Personality, and, and if you're not careful, it happens in every church where none is immune to that, and we we, we kind of scratch our feet in the dirt like those old rams and if we're not anointed with the Spirit of God 
that little disturbance can become a detriment to the church, to the home, to the school, to the youth group. We need his anointing because of life's diseases. Diseases would come, and uh, we live in a world inflicted and filled with diseases of every kind. But in that day, the sheep would get sick, and if they got a disease, it would spread through the whole uh, herd, the whole flock, and before you know it, what started with one would get them all done, and the shepherd would lose all of his sheep. So what he would do at the first onset of any kind of sickness, he'll build a trough, fill it with oil and uh, some other stuff. And he'd bring them through there and literally dunk them in that trough and it would insulate them and isolate them so that it would prevent them from catching what other de- whatever disease another sheep had. Can I tell you, we live in a world filled with diseases. We live in a world that is... We're not careful. Listen to me, church. We will bring the disease from the world into the fellowship of the body of Christ and we will cause sickness, spiritual sickness, in the life of believers unless we're filled with the Spirit of God. We will bring the world's way of thinking and the world's way of behaving into the fellowship. And we'll say we probably wouldn't verbalize it just this way or articulate it this way. Well, that's the way they do it work. It'll work here in the church. No, it won't. Well, that's the way they do in business. Well, it won't work in the church necessarily that way. Well, that's the idea of the world. Listen, our standard is to be different from the world. Paul said in Romans 12, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world squeeze you into its way of thinking. So we need to be anointed with the Spirit of God so that we don't ourselves get sick and then bring that sickness into the body of Christ. Would you give me just a few more minutes? I want to look at this last line in the 21st Psalm, verse 5. Look at it again. He says, Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Now look at that last line. My cup runneth over our shepherd filling and flooding the cup the cup is a picture of our lot or our portion in life on that tableland where we can go and be with Christ in sweet fellowship with him our cup can be filled and there is the first there is the initial filling life individually Paul you remember when you got saved I remember as a little boy in hot in a hot church on a June morning. God began to stir my heart. I didn't know a whole lot about God. I didn't know a whole lot about the Bible, but I knew I was a sinner, and I believed that Jesus died to save me. And I went forward, and I took the pastor, saying, I'm a preacher, I want to get saved. God saved me that morning. Can you go back to the time when God saved you? Maybe when you were a child, maybe a teenager, maybe an adult. In Bible school. Sunday school, maybe in a worship service. I don't know where it was. Maybe just in your car. You asked God to become your Savior. That was the life initially, Him giving you, Him giving you oil, Him giving you water, filling your cup initially. John 4, the woman at the well, throwing water 
Jesus said, if you ask me, I give you living water. If you drink this living water, you'll never thirst again. And she said, Lord, give me that water. I want some of that living water. Jesus filled her cup with the water of life, and she left her pot at the well and went back home to tell others what had happened to her. But then in John 7, you see him filling your, life, filling your cup continuously. John 7, John said, Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Every day your cup can be filled. Filling to overflow. Your cup can be made to run over. And then filling your cup abundantly. You're flooded. God wants to lavish His grace upon you day by day. He wants to lavish you with whatever you need. Give you all the good things of life. And that day, if you're invited to somebody's home, and maybe it's a banquet or a meal or you're just invited to come as a guest, the, host, the hostess would keep your cup filled. I mean, you drink, they'll keep it filled. Now, what happens when they got tired of you, they let your cup run dry. When your cup run dry, there's some time for you, big boy, to go home. I'm tired of you. What he says here is he will keep your cup filled. You know why? God never gets tired of you. Isn't that amazing? God never gets tired of me. He doesn't get tired of you. And he keeps your cup filled. I love your fellowship, he says. I'll run your cup over. I don't want you to leave. Everything that God does, he does abundantly. When the prodigal son came home, it was not just a calf. It was the fatted calf. It was not just a robe. It was the best robe. He runs over and does everything he does. It's not just grace. It's abundance grace. It's not just love. It's everlasting love. It's not just joy, it's joy unspeakable. God runs over abundantly more than you ask or think. My guess is that a whole lot of us are surviving on half-filled cups. Can I ask you a question? Has your spiritual life sort of become dry, stale, and empty? Maybe your life's come to the point where you know you're saved, but your joy isn't what it used to be. And your cup is dry. And church work becomes a chore instead of a joy. And singing or testifying or whatever it is, it just it becomes a job rather than a joy. And as your cup run dry, the Lord says, I want to fill your cup. I want that fill it. I want to. My grandpa lived to be an old man, late 90s, I guess, when he passed away. And after he got to where he couldn't live by himself, he came to live with us. So here's what I noticed about my grandpa. He had poured his coffee out of the cup and into the saucer. And he would drink out of the saucer. Anybody ever seen somebody do that, drink from the saucer? Maybe you've done that. Drink from the saucer. Sometimes a cup would overflow, and he would drink the overflow give you a simple truth. Listen. It is only the overflow from your life that blesses people. If your cup is dry and your saucer is empty, you're not really being a blessing to people. I've heard people sing, hit every note just right, but their cup was dry. I've heard men preach and do a great job as far as exposition, but they had no anointing. 
It's the overflow that blesses folk. Is your cup overflowing? That's what the psalmist said. Lord, my cup is running over. Your grace and your love, your presence, your anointing. Wouldn't you like to say, Lord, just fill my cup afresh now, Dad. Lord, fill me to overflow. Run over my cup. Just fill it so that I can have a joy that I used to have, the grace that I used to know, the peace that I used to live in. Lord, would you just fill my cup afresh now, Dad. Maybe some of you just need to come and have that initial cleansing, that initial filling. I don't know what God said to you this morning. Maybe some of you need to come back to the table of restoration and say, God, could you restore me? God, would you forgive me? Whatever God spoke to you, would you do it today? Well, stand with me, please. Our heads are bowed in prayer. Father, we thank you for the grace that you provide. Thank you, Lord, for the Spirit who has spoken to our heart today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to respond to you in the way that you want us to respond. For some is to come for restoration, to be renewed. For others is to come to have their cup refilled because they're running on empty, they're running on dry. For some it might be just for that initial feeling when they come to know you as Savior and Lord. Whatever you're saying, God help people respond. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you be coming as we have this invitation in. about for just a moment is that your prayer this morning before we leave before we have our closing prayer would you just whisper that to the Lord Father we come to the end of this service praying that we would have our cups filled to overflowing thank you Lord for your word that's a lamp and a light and the spirit who speaks to enlighten it and empower it God help us to be faithful in what you've called us to do as we go to our respective home places, Lord, keep us safe as we travel. Bring us back tonight at 6 o'clock as we look into your word once again. 
and help us to express the grace of God to others who need to come and just feast at the Lord's table. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you.